Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. This is going to sound like a seminary joke, but bear with me. What happens when you cross a common misconception about Christianity with the natural human understanding of the law and gospel? Well, you're probably going to wind up with a very frustrated follower of Christ. Today, John is going to walk us through some common fallacies about the Christian life and explain how they cause so much strife in today's believers. These messages come to us from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series. Here's John with part two of Common Misconceptions About the Christian Life. Let me just share with you two of the most common misconceptions about the Christian life. Uh, Jerry Bridges has a helpful discussion of these two misconceptions in his book called The Discipline of Grace, God's Role and Our Role in the Pursuit of Holiness. It's a great book. Here's the first misconception. Here's the first deep-rooted misconception that we have to unlearn. It's thinking like this, that although we are saved by grace, we earn or forfeit God's blessings in our daily lives by our performance. To illustrate this, Jerry Bridges has a good day, bad day scenario. And he says, I want you to consider two radically different days in your life. So do that this morning with me. Consider two radically different days in your life. Here's the good day. The first one's a good day. It's a good day spiritually for you. And he says, it goes like this. You get up promptly when your alarm goes off. You have a profitable, quiet time as you read your Bible and pray. Your plans for the day generally fall into place and you somehow sense the presence of God with you throughout the day. And to top it off, you unexpectedly have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who is truly searching. As you talk with the person, you silently pray for the Holy Spirit to help you and to also work in your friend's heart. So that's a good day. Here's the second day. The second day is a bad day spiritually for you. Right? He says it goes like this. You don't immediately get up when your alarm goes off. Instead, you turn it off and go back to sleep. When you awaken, it's too late to have a quiet time. He says, so you hurriedly gulp down some breakfast and rush off to the day's activities. You feel guilty for oversleeping and missing your quiet time. He says, things go generally wrong all day. You become more and more irritable as the day wears on. You don't sense God's presence at all in your life. (laughs) And he says, and that evening, you unexpectedly have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who is truly interested in trusting Christ for salvation. So you had a good day and you had a bad day. And then he asked this question. He says, would you enter those two witnessing opportunities with a different degree of confidence? Would you be less confident on the bad day than on the good day? Would you find it difficult to believe that God would bless you and use you in the midst of a rather bad spiritual day? And then he says, if you've answered yes to these questions, you have a lot of company among believers because I've described these two scenarios to a number of audiences. And I've asked, would you respond differently? And and invariably, he says, 80% said yes. He says that 80% would be less confident of God's blessing while sharing Christ at the end of a bad day than they would be after a good day. 
And so then he concludes with these pointed questions. Is such thinking justified? Does God work that way? He says the answer to to both questions is no, because God's blessing does not depend on our performance. Why then do we think that it does? We think this way because we believe that God's blessing somehow is conditioned upon our spiritual performance. Let me give you an example. And everybody's going to know this. It comes from TBN, right? Because Benny Hinn's all over the news because he's rejected his so-called prosperity gospel. This misconception forms the basis for the false prosperity gospel. What is the prosperity gospel? At its core, it is nothing more than a covenant of works. It works like this. Do this and be blessed. Do this and prosper. Don't do this and be a pauper. Now, listen carefully. We rightly criticize this false gospel. It's not a gospel. But listen carefully. We can easily fall prey ourselves in trying to relate to God on the basis of a covenant of works ourselves. We think that if we've performed well and had a good day, we're in a position for God to bless us. That is a covenant of works. If I do certain things, then I can get God to come through for me. Such thinking of a covenant of works is even worse and stronger on a bad day. On a bad day, it works like this. Bridges explains it to us. He says, there is virtually no doubt on a bad day that we have forfeited God's favor for some period of time. Most likely until the next day. Now, for me, for the first 30 years of my life under Lordship Salvation, it was for the next two weeks. He says, I've asked people why they think God would probably not use them to share the gospel with someone on a bad day. And a typical reply is this, quote, I wouldn't be worthy. I wouldn't be good enough. And so then the question becomes, well, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? Bridges says, if God's blessings were dependent on our performance, they would be meager indeed. In fact, they would be non-existent. He says, because even our best works are shot through with sin with varying degrees of impure motives and lots of imperfect performance. This is what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches in question 62 in the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks this question. Listen to this question carefully. Why can't our good works be the whole or just part of our righteousness before God? And here's the answer. Because the righteousness which can stand before the judgment seat of God must be perfect throughout. It must be perfectly conformable to the entire law of God. But even as believers, our best works in this life are still imperfect and defiled with sin. And so Bridges, he concludes by stating this, this, this very important truth that I want you to get this morning. Get this. He says, your worst days 
are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And he says, and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You see, the good day scenario, it illustrates the Pharisee type of believer who unconsciously thinks that they've earned God's favor and blessings through their good day performance. The bad day scenario illustrates the guilt-laden type of believer. And the the guilt-laden type of believer is quite sure that they have forfeited God's favor and blessings through their prevalence of disobedience and and their constant failures. But you see, the problem with both the Pharisee type of believer and the guilt-laden believer is the same problem. It is the sin of unbelief. They have both slipped into this performance mentality with God and they've forgotten the meaning of grace. They have both set the gospel aside and they are trying to relate to God under a covenant of works, do this and live, do this and be blessed, do this and lose God's blessing. That is a covenant of works. They have set the gospel aside. And so both types of believers fail to see their constant need to hear the gospel and relate to God on the basis of Christ alone. And how easily we slip into one of these two errors on any given day. And so we have to unlearn this old deep-rooted idea that though we are saved by grace, we earn or forfeit God's blessings in our daily lives by our performance. We must unlearn this. We have to learn that every day of our Christian life is relating to God through Christ alone. And so it is only by a continual reminder of the gospel that keeps us from falling into this good day, bad day thinking scenario. Whether we have a good day or whether we have a bad day, we don't look to that. We look to faith by Christ alone. Listen, instead of Christ plus our performance for our acceptance and favor before God. So that's the first misconception. Second, here's what we have to unlearn. We have to unlearn, listen, that thinking that the gospel is only for the unbeliever. We have to unlearn this. And to illustrate this common misconception, uh, Bridges gives us a timeline of our life. And he says, I want you to consider a timeline that has three points of destination for your life. You have your birth, you have the day of your salvation, and you have your death. And he says, regardless of your age or when you trusted Christ, because some people, they just, they don't know. They didn't have that crisis moment experience, right? That revivalistic tendency that is in, in the church. He says, regardless of any of that, regardless of your age, when you trusted Christ, the cross of Christ divided your life into two periods. It divided your life into an unbeliever and into a believer, And he says, so with this timeline in mind, unbeliever, believer, divided by the cross, he says, what one word, what one word describes what you need to hear most as an unbeliever? 
And he says, of course, I would suggest to you that that is the gospel, that you need to hear the most as an unbeliever. He says, but now consider the second half of your life, the second half of the timeline. After your initial conversion, he says, what one word describes the message that you most need to hear as a believer? And he says, when he shares this with his audiences, he gives lots of different answers to this question. He says, but all the answers that he gives can be summed up into one word. It's called discipleship. He says, because after all, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, which we'll come back to next week, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. So as believers, we are continually bombarded and challenged with the demands and duties of discipleship. Let me give you some slogans that I wrote down that I heard this week. Be radical. You have to sell it all and lay it down for Jesus. Don't waste your life. Count the cost. Then this week, I received an invitation uh, inviting me to join a, quote, unique simulcast event. There's, there's never been a simulcast event like this one. This one's completely unique. And this was what it invited me to. It says, you are invited to join this unique simulcast event because Something needs to change in a world of urgent need, and it needs to change in you and me. We need to be challenged by stories of those on the front lines around the world who are doing daring work in dark places so that our lives can count most in a world of urgent need. Now, listen, to be sure, disciples have to swallow everything Michael Horton says that Jesus said, hook, line, and sinker. Learning the lesson the hard way, the disciples heard Jesus drive away the crowds of consumers by teaching hard doctrines, right? But listen to what Jerry Bridges says about this word discipleship. What is the word that believers need to hear most? He says there's something more basic than discipleship. Something that actually provides the necessary atmosphere in which discipleship can be practiced. The one word that describes what we must continue to hear is gospel. Yet because we have this truncated view of the gospel and have relegated the gospel to what the unbeliever needs to hear, but we don't, This deeply rooted misconception of the Christian life, the gospel is for unbelievers. The demands and duties of discipleship are for believers because we've done this. Listen, we have made the duties and demands of discipleship into drudgery. You see, we need to hear the gospel every day of our Christian life. That's why we come to church to be taught how to hear it. Paul confirms this in his letter to the Romans when he says this, quote, Romans 1.15, quote, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Do you hear that? The greatest exposition penned of the gospel, the book of Romans, right, was written to believers, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you believers in the church in Rome. 
And it is only the joy of hearing the gospel and being reminded that our sins are forgiven in Christ that keeps the demands and duties of discipleship from becoming drudgery, exasperation, exhaustion. And so the pursuit of holiness must be motivated by a different type of energy. This is a fascinating thing that I learned yesterday. In two minutes, as energy leaves the sun, right? There's enough energy in two minutes of that sun to be more energy than every bit of energy that is consumed in the whole world in one year. Every air conditioner, every car, every light bulb, everything that requires energy consumed in one year is contained in only two minutes of sun. Does that change your concept of energy? Did mine when I heard it yesterday. I was like, holy cow, that's a lot of power. The gospel is like that. It changes your idea of energy. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not just what you're thinking to walk the aisle and make a decision and pray some kind of prayer in a revivalistic setting and you had this experience. No, he's talking about the book of Romans for justification, for sanctification, for glorification. The gospel is the power of God for the whole package of salvation. That changes your idea of energy, doesn't it? And so the pursuit of holiness must be motivated by this change in energy, this our new understanding of what energy really is, understanding what of the grace of God, of the love of God. Or else our pursuit of holiness, our law-keeping, whatever you want to call it, it becomes oppressive and exasperating rather than joyful and gratitude-filled. So much more could be said, but let's just finish and let's review quickly. What, what have we learned this morning? We've learned this, that the gospel way of obedience, the pursuit of holiness is difficult and it's hard to learn because it requires double the work. We have to unlearn the old deep-rooted misconceptions that keep us exasperated. And we have to learn the new ways that leads to freedom and gratitude. These two deep-seated misconceptions, again, here, listen. So although we're saved by grace, we earn or forfeit God's blessings in our daily lives by our performance. We have to unlearn that. We have to shelve that, not the gospel. Then we have to unlearn this, this misconception that the gospel is only for unbelievers. What the, what the believer needs to most here is the duties and demands of discipleship. We need to shelve that. Both of these misconceptions share the common error of unbelief and setting aside the gospel and believers attempting to relate to God on the basis of their own performance rather than Christ's performance for them. And we said that these misconceptions can result in two things. First, the Pharisee type of believer who becomes proud and puffed up with a sense of superiority and they begin to look down their spiritual noses at others who are not as spiritually disciplined and as spiritually obedient, as radically committed as they are. 
or these misconceptions result in guilt-laden believers who are acutely aware of all the demands and duties of discipleship, and they failed to be as successful as other believers around them, so they just quit. These guilt-laden believers constantly find themselves dealing with these same besetting sins and sins of the heart, such as anger, bitterness toward others. I, I would tell you, bitterness toward others, where Hebrews says, be careful not to let a root of bitterness take root in your heart, for it leads to defilement. Bitterness towards others in families and in churches and in relationships, it's all-consuming and it destroys you. People say, well, we come to church, we want community, but I got offended, so I'm leaving. That's community. Because this is a community of sinners who are going to offend you and hurt you. You don't, when your wife offends you, you don't, I'm out of here. Unfortunately, some people do. Community is real. People want community on their own terms, not on Christ's terms. How do I know if I have bitterness in my heart and, and I'm not? Can you take the Lord's Supper and we're passing the peace, do that with a clean conscience? If you can't pass the peace with every single person in the church, you've got bitterness, deal with it. Just confess it, tell them you've done it, work it out, receive forgiveness and move on in the joy of Christ. They get way down with grudges and resentment and judgmental attitudes and covetousness and lust and impure thoughts and they're impatient. They lack faith. They're full of anxiety and fear and all of these sins they're constantly dealing with. And because they've set aside the gospel, they become crippled with a sense of failure and guilt. And so their assurance is destroyed. They don't have any confidence that God is favorable toward them, but that they're utterly convinced that God is displeased with them and that they forfeited his favor and his pleasure. Probably at the most they're thinking, God tolerates me, but he doesn't really love me. We've got to unlearn this garbage. This is what Paul calls garbage in Philippians 3. And like the Apostle Paul, as we finish, we have to learn like Paul came to learn as we heard in our scripture lesson this morning that he was the chief of sinners and he was that to be an example to all of us that nobody's beyond the reach of God's grace. And what did he come to learn? He said, I've come to learn the love of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, listen to this phrase. I love this phrase. He says, for Christ's love compels us. That's the energy like the sun. That, that word compel, it means to urge on, to drive on to a performance of a moral act. In other words, I'm so acutely aware of the overwhelming grace of God in Christ given to me, the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy, right? That my life is now driven to express gratitude and obedience to God and to love my neighbor because I'm overwhelmed with how much he loves me. 
It is only by continually feeding our faith on a steady diet of the gospel that the Holy Spirit floods our hearts with a sense and assurance of God the Father's love for us for Christ's sake. And listen, and out of that assurance of his love for us, we are motivated to live for him. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for Christ's love for us. We thank you that even though we were enemies and sinners, you loved us and sent your son to rescue us. So as we come to your table this morning, it is yours to receive your sacrament. This is a visible gospel. This is a tangible expression that we can touch and that we can taste and that we can smell and that we can see with our eyes. Tokens of the Father's love for us for Christ's sake. And so I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, as we come to receive your sacrament, your, your bread and your wine, that you would comfort and assure our hearts and strengthen and confirm our faith in the promises of the gospel of your favor for us in Christ. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Common Misconceptions About the Christian Life, Part 2. More from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 